Quick question for you. Hey, let me ask you something. Can I ask you a question? Can you dig it? Yes, guy. Can you dig it? Yes, guy. The man with the words you've been dying to hear. Yes, guy. This is the Yes Guy Show with Jim Taddy on TSN 1050. Can you dig it? Oh, yeah. Yes, Guy. Here we are. Episode number 82. Yes, Guy, the radio show on TSN 1050. Jim Taddy and Perry Lefko with you. Perry, what's happening? Jim, I'm doing great. Can you dig that? I can dig it. And yes, Guy, I do. I can dig it. And you know, we've got an interesting show coming up. We'll dive into that in a second. Homeowners are first-time buyers. If you're considering purchasing, refinancing, if your mortgage is coming up for renewal, talk to Dean Romani, TMG SafeBridge Mortgage Solutions. Dean will provide you with custom-tailored mortgage solutions for all your needs. You can contact Dean on Twitter at MTGDean or give him a call at 416-885-1761. Let's talk about advanced planning, your life, your say, your tribute, and, of course, your way. Turner and Porter Funeral Directors, let's start a conversation. Visit turnerporter.ca. So this is an interesting show because we're going to go back and dig out a couple of audio files that we enjoyed a couple of months ago. Phil Esposito coming up very shortly, as he guested in early April, talking about The Godfather in 1972 when it was released, talking about Summit Series 1972. And from the world of music, Keith Hampshire will stop by. OK, Blue Jays is his song. And Charles Park later on will update the real estate market. And, of course, Yes Guy, No Guy has a theme to it today. It's about things that happened in the early 70s. So we'll we'll sort of re-update that file for you. That conversation with Phil, I, you know, I, I re-listened to it. We, had, we just covered a lot of ground, didn't we? You know, whenever you're talking to Phil Esposito, you always get the truth, and it's always unfiltered. Yes, unfiltered by Phil. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, so he almost got into The Godfather, the movie, and, of course, the Summit Series. So here is our conversation with the Hockey Hall of Famer, Phil Esposito. Well, Jim Teddy, how are you? And Terry <laughs> Boy, voices from the past. <laughs> <laughs> you're top drawer now, Mr. Esposito. Oh, sure. No, no, I used to. I'm down to the bottom drawer, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is 2022, 50 years since 1972. So let's zero in on a couple of things that happened in 1972. There was this flick that was released called The Godfather, and you there was a possibility you were going to be in it. Take us through that. Well, I I went to Chicago uh, with Tony Canigliaro. Remember Tony C.? He got beaten. Yeah. Boston Al- Red Sox. Allison, uh, yeah, and couldn't play, ever play again. He lost his vision. And his eye, unfortunately, passed away. But um, we went to Chicago and did an interview. My, I interviewed for the part of Carlo, who was married to Talia Shear, who Clemenza strangled in the car. Um, if people, if they know the movie, they'll know what I'm talking about. And, um, yep. they, uh, they said, look, we'd like you to have you do the role. They offered me $5,000 to do it. I would have had it been six weeks, to eight weeks of shooting. And that was in going to be in January, the end of January and February. Well, that's the middle of a hockey season. And in 1972, you know. We were winning Stanley Cups, and I was winning scoring titles and stuff like that. There was no way I was going to do that. I said, no, I can't do that now. But it was interesting to go there and do it. And Tony Canigliaro, I don't know what Tony C was going to be, but somebody told me it was going to be Sonny, 
the part that James Caan finally got, you know, and got the, a role for and was very good at it. So, but that was the story of that. And, um, but I often think about it. What would have happened if I had done that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I would have screwed up my hockey career and hockey's more important than that, that sort of stuff. Phil, I didn't know too much about Gianni Russo, so I just did some background. He was 25 years old, had no acting experience, and was a member of the mob. So his life dramatically changed because of this whole thing. What I want to know is, when you saw the movie, did you say, man, that is some kind of film. I wish I would have been in it. Well, you know, everybody, you can wish something, but you got to go realistic. I mean, I was making a hell of a lot more than $5,000 playing hockey. So I wasn't going to give that up, plus the fact that it was my profession, not acting. Although I often said that I acted almost every game. <laughs> Most <laughs> of us did. Uh, but uh, I think Billy Barber was the best one, though, at flopping. No, he was the best. And uh, But... I wasn't. I I didn't have the the interest of going through that. I tested for another role with a hockey movie. In fact, Eric Nestorenko got it as a coach. I don't know whether you remember this movie. I don't remember it. Rob Lowe was in it. I don't know what it was called. I tested for that, and they they said no. You're a little bit too good looking for it. I went what? I said, I want you to tell my wife that right now. It was called Young Blood. <laughs> I'm too good looking for it. So I didn't I get that part either. I remember doing that in New York sometime, and I was retired. So it was 82, maybe 83. Uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't interested. They weren't willing to pay. If you think about it, that movie Godfather, the only one that made any money, as an actor with Marlon Brando. The rest of the guys didn't. Al Pacino made himself on that movie, and uh, and so did, well, James Conn, for that matter, and a lot of guys, Duval. I mean, it's an interesting and turned out to be one of the great movies of all time, although number two to me was really much better. I don't know why. I just thought it was much better. Well, you probably like the scenes in Italy, and, and you know that would uh, that that would bring you back to your family roots, right? The roots, my roots are Canadian. Yeah. Period. I, you know, I'm a Canadian and American. That's all I care about, with Italian descent. And when people ask, I I say this now, especially the way the world is nowadays. People, say, oh, you're an Italian, huh? Well, not really. I was born in Canada, so I'm a Canadian. I live in the United States and became an American citizen. So I'm an American with Italian descent. I don't go to Italy. I don't see Italy. I don't know what's going on in Italy. I worry about what's going on in the United States and what's going on in Canada. Let's go back to that. that did you do a screen test, and, and did you ever see it? No, I don't have a clue. I don't remember that. I don't think I did a screen test. It was, well, I read a couple of lines in um, in the office. They got a script there, and we read a couple of, I read a couple of lines, 
But um, no, and in fact, I met the guy that did, played Gino. Okay, I met him Carlo. at a bar in New York City, uh, or Carlo. Yeah, his name was Gino. But I, I met him in a bar. Honestly, I couldn't believe it. He came up to me and my wife, and he says, "You Phil Esposito?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "I got your part in The Godfather." I said, "Really?" And then I looked at him. I think he had the same suit on that he had then The Godfather. <laughs> it was a big shirt. I'll never forget that. We talked for a while and everything else. And I told him, I said, "Look, I was the top of my, I was at the top of my game then. It wasn't." I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't deviating. No chance. Phil, you've dabbled a bit in acting. You, you've done some various roles. And I'm, did you, oh, yeah. Have you enjoyed the experience? Did you find it any more difficult than, than just the day-to-day rigors of playing hockey? I enjoyed it when Alan Sick was producing the Rennie Samard show I did, Michael Douglas show I did, Mike Douglas show I did. I, uh, I, I really enjoyed it, to tell you the truth. I did six or seven episodes of Rescue Me, uh, which was a a Dennis Leary production about firefighters here. Uh, I did that, played small parts, but got to get in there. And I did some movies with Frank D'Angelo, four or five of those. And most of those ones were ad-lib, which I liked much better. Because sometimes... People don't know you, and they write they write something for you to say. And I remember saying, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. So uh, I, you know, Frankie went along with it, and we had lived a lot of our stuff, and it turned out fine. So I mean, if you'd taken the Godfather role, uh, your your place in hockey history would have been slightly altered. I'm sure it would have resumed, but I don't know how that would have impacted the '72 Summit Series. And, uh, you know, clearly that was that was a moment. That was your destiny, right? I guess it took me to, look, I turned it down. I turned Eagleson down twice. turned Harry Sinden down once. And, but when Bobby Orr called me, he said, Phil, I can't play. My knees are bad. We really need you and your brother. And my brother was adamant that he did not want to go. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to lose our hockey school. We gave everybody back their money. Um, and to go to training camp and then obviously to go to play with the Team Canada 72 guys. And and um, they just, look, didn't like it. I didn't want to go on it. But when Bobby asked me, my teammate and my friend, what the hell am I going to do? I, I got to say, yeah. And my brother was not very happy with me for a while. And um, especially after the Canadian trip, but I'll say, I'll say this. Whoever scouted us, and I found out they were the Maple Leaf scouts, they didn't know what the hell they were looking at. I mean, they told us things that were, were so unbelievably wrong. And um, that's why it took a while. But my honest honest feeling, and I'll say it till the day of I last breath. Those games in Russia, we became a team. We became a team in Sweden. We really did. We got screwed in the first game in Russia by officiating. It was as horrendous as I've seen it. 
And um, I'm not saying that we didn't play tough. We did. And when we went to Sweden, we thought they'd be watching us and let's see if we could maybe intimidate them a little bit. At least that was on my mind. And uh, in Russia, after that first game, I didn't think we would lose again. I didn't. I I just felt it. I, I don't know why, but I wasn't going to. I just was not going to let it happen. And maybe that's why I was greedy on the ice. I know I played way more than I should have. While the other guys were sitting on the bench, I know that. But I just couldn't help myself. I just had the faith faith in myself that I was going to get it done. No matter what, come hell or high water, I was going to get it done. We were not going to lose to them. Whether that's wrong or right is immaterial. In my heart, it was the right thing to do. And in my head, so that's all that matters. Phil, the 50th anniversary is going to be coming up, you know, a few months from now. A lot of people yeah. are going to say they remember Henderson's goals, but a lot of people will also say the speech you made after game four may have been the thing that just got everybody in Canada together, you know, from all the criticism that was happening. And I'm wondering, did that thing happen purely organically, or was there something that you were thinking, if I ever got a chance to say something, this is going to be the chance? I, no, I, it just came out. And it came out because when I was skating over to Esau, Johnny Esau, and uh, uh, these three three kids, or kids, they were in their late 20s, and they were just yelling obscenities and saying communism is better and all this other stuff. Well, that just set me off, boy. I had a stick in my hand, and I wanted to throw it at him like a spear. And honestly, I, I, it bothered me tremendously. And when Johnny asked me, the minute he asked me, of course, I just went on. Do you know I never saw that thing for 10 years? I saw it in 1982 when we had our 10-year anniversary. And my first reaction was I was embarrassed. I don't know why, but I got embarrassed. And then, you know, it's just snowballed to the point where I didn't realize, except for the phone calls, and boy, did I get phone calls, and did the team get phone calls. And when we got to Russia, all the telegrams of encouragement and everything like that was just unbelievable. And... People are saying, oh, that's because that's what you did to talk and all that. Well, I didn't think of that. I, I really didn't. I was feeling bad for some of the guys on our team. I really was. I was feeling bad for Goldsworthy. I mean, that's all he wanted to do was win. Maybe he got too aggressive. Maybe he didn't. But that's all I wanted to do. You know, that's all he wanted to do. And some of the other guys that got really aggressive and what have you, we just wanted to win. And I remember telling the guys from Canada, Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, uh, you know, and the guys that were playing up there, I says, you know, I go back to Boston. My brother goes back to Chicago. Gilbert and Parkey and Ratty go back to um, New York. They don't give one damn about this series. It's you guys that are playing in Canada. 
that are going to be under the gun. So will your families and your and your siblings when they go to the grocery store or something like that. My dad had after that that first four games, he had signs in front of him saying that my brother and I were traitors. Uh, you know, I don't. My folks didn't need something like that. And I think that's why Tony didn't want to play. We got back to Toronto. The next day, they wanted us to fly to Sault Ste. Marie to have a, 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 a big thing. And both Tony and I said, no, we're not interested. I I went back to Boston. And the next night, I played in a preseason game. Tony went back to Chicago and played next night in a preseason game. It was over. And 50 years later, here we are. And still, all the anniversaries had, anniversaries that we have had, not once has the Canadian government ever helped us. The Russian government did help those guys. And I am, I'm upset about it. And always have been. And it just doesn't make any sense. And why would you vote us, the, the, a team of the century, for crying out loud? Because we won? because it was more politics involved than really the game. The players didn't know. The Russian players, they just went out and played. They were on a bad bunch of guys. No way. But on that ice, they were the enemy. And, and we didn't care. We just wanted to win. That's all we wanted to do was win. So, you know, it's easy now because 50 years later, we won, and now, I don't know. I still haven't heard whether the government's going to help us for the 50th anniversary or not. I don't know whether we're going to really be part of it, because I know one thing. The Russians aren't going to come here, and we're not going to go to Russia like we had originally planned. They were going to come here for three or four days and a couple of things, and then we were going to go over there. It would have been great. It would have been fun, but circumstances of course have altered all of those plans wow i mean it sounds like you were i mean it was up to you guys to to come up with the win here and you were on your own you're on a little island there weren't you well let me put it this way we didn't have a charter we had to go on two separate planes one to go flew to paris and up to stockholm the other one flew to london to stockholm and you know, Harry Sinden was on one group and John Ferguson was on the other. I was with Fergie's group. And you think about it. We didn't know whether we were going to have a charter flight coming back. If we hadn't won, I don't know what would have happened. And that I resent that, too. I resent it tremendously. It doesn't matter. We're representing the country. We're trying our best. Give us your best. But they didn't. The government didn't. Period.
Phil Esposito, Hockey Hall of Famer. If you're an experienced real estate agent looking for comprehensive value and a distinct advantage, contact Charles Park, managing broker, Remax West Realty Brokerage, offering state-of-the-art technologies with exclusive coaching and mentoring for a confidential interview. Call Charles at 647-292-8886 or email charles at remaxwest.net. Master your game strategy with Fox 40 coaching boards available for basketball, hockey, football, and more. Use the code YESGUY at checkout for 15% off your order. Go to fox40shop.com. This is Yes Guy, the radio show on TSN 1050. Yes Guy, the radio show. Jim Taddy, Perry Lipko with you. This segment is sponsored by Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Financial advisor Herb Braley is ready to help you with your financial needs. If you want a comfortable and real conversation about your options, contact Herb at 1-877-734-3055 or visit his website, braleyadvisors.com. With 31 years of experience, Herb will help you do what you want to do with your money, get it back to you when you need it the most. Financial clarity and comfort with Braley Financial Advisors, Incorporated. You may remember the song, OK, Blue Jays, and the voice on it belongs to this guest, Keith Hampshire. Keith, welcome. How are you? Well, I'm fine. Uh, life is good. That's good. Um, so tell us about this song, because it's baseball season, and people are going to sure have this song in their minds again. OK, many, many years ago... Um, the Blue Jays commissioned uh, a couple of um, jingle writers in Toronto to write a song to go on a, um, a promotional video that they were putting together to try and generate interest in uh, the team. And uh, this was, you know, early days when they actually needed to generate interest in the team. And uh, so anyway, they um, commissioned these guys to write this song. Uh, the guys wrote the song, and then they went and auditioned uh, a bunch of guys. Uh, I don't know how many, uh, 20, 30, I don't know how many guys were auditioned, but um, uh, I won the audition, whoop-de-doo, and, and uh, proceeded to go in the studio and record the song that I had no idea would become uh, such an anthem uh, in, years, in years to come. So uh, that's how the song all came about. Well, I wanted to ask you the question, first of all, Keith, Jim and I both have grown up in your era, so we're vintage people, but we remember you from your TV show. We remember you from the songs that you made. And I wanted to know, at what point did you become aware that this song had traction? When I got a gold record. <laughs> um, yeah, I was uh, <laughs> sitting reading the paper one day, having, uh, having a coffee, and um, I noticed a very tiny little blurb in the corner of the... Uh, of the entertainment section said that um, uh, OK Blue Jays, the theme song for the um, baseball team, had just been certified gold by the Canadian Record Industry Association, whatever. And uh, I thought to myself, oh, my God, a, a gold record. Why, well, I've never had one of those. I'd love one. So I phoned up the record company and, and asked if I, could, uh, if I could get a copy or get a gold record, you know, to hang on my wall. And uh, after a lot of um, uh, being transferred from one department to the next, to the next, to the next, finally uh, somebody um, uh, remembered who I was or something, I don't know, because I was with that record company uh, to begin with years and years previous. So anyway, they, um, uh, they finally said, yeah, yeah, we'll, se we'll, we'll send it to you. They took my address and whatever. And, um, oh, about four or five weeks later, there's a knock at the door, and it's a um, UPS or FedEx or, or, or somebody. 
and they say special delivery for Keith Hampshire. And I went, oh, terrific, it's my gold record, yahoo! And they said that'll be $81, please. And that's <laughs> when, when when the... the the joy sort of went out of the, uh, but it's uh, it's 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 hanging in a place of prominence behind my toilet in the bedroom, in the bathroom. So um, yeah, it's uh, I'm still proud of it, very proud. Yeah. Well, we can remember 1972 daytime, nighttime, number five in Canada. First cut is the deepest 1973, number one in Canada. 1973 also big time operator, number five in Canada. But the vocal stylings in OK Blue Jays is slightly different. How did you get that? Well, I listened to the track, and um, I thought to myself, my God, that that sort of sounds like a Randy Newman song, you know? So I I sort of gave it a Randy Newman twist. I'm, I've always been uh, one to uh, emulate other singers, and, uh, yeah, I mean, some people would say, Randy Newman, he's not a singer. Well, he is a singer, and he has a distinctive style, so that's that's sort of what I did on that song. Have you ever had an, an occasion to go to the Blue Jays game and to actually hear the song. So in other words, you're there, you're hearing your voice and hearing all these people getting into that song. Uh, every year I go uh, two or three times. I take my grandson and he sort of turns and he looks at me and he smiles like, that's my papa. Um, yeah, I uh, I go regularly. I'm I'm the, the biggest Blue Jays fan in the world. Let's go back to your uh, your TV show, the, the Music Machine. I mean, this is from another world, right? Compared to what we do now. Another world. The show that um, um, uh, um, CBC uh, didn't know what to do with, had no idea what to do with it, and consequently they have erased all the tapes. Every single Canadian performer who uh, was. Um, making any kind of noise in those days is now uh, officially wiped. You just re- we just referenced the first cut as the deepest. Now, Cat Stevens recorded that song. It's been recorded multiple times. What was it about that song that you, you said, you know, I want to take a crack at it? Well, um, uh, uh, going back in time, 1966, 1967, I had the opportunity to go to England, and I worked on a pirate radio ship in the, uh, in the North Sea. And uh, we played all kinds of uh, fabulous music back then. I like to think of it as the uh, um, uh, the, the golden years of rock and roll. Uh, there are those who would would disagree, but um, those were the years that really affected me. And I heard the song in England by a girl by the name of P.P. Arnold, who was on tour with Ike and Tina Turner, and uh, she uh, was one of the Ikeettes. Anyway, she... Uh, had the opportunity to record the song. It was a hit in England, but because it was on this obscure um, record label that uh, didn't really have very good North American um, distribution, it was uh, never released over here. Or if it was released, it wasn't promoted. So I thought, oh my God, here's the song. It's obviously a hit. I should go in and and record that. And, and when I went in to record it, it was just one of... Um, uh, a dozen songs that we were putting on an album, but it it we sort of got into it as we were recording it and went, holy dude, we got a beauty here. Well, I mean, you're talking about being a broadcaster on a pirate ship for music, um, and you go back to uh, your show, the, the the Music Machine, and that was the only way to see some Canadian acts. If you compare that world to this world, there couldn't be a, a better contrast, could there? No, that's 
for sure. I mean, we had we had groups. Uh, we had Rush, their very first television appearance. We had Clatu, uh, that was uh, supposedly the Beatles, that um, <laughs> nobody nobody knew. And um, uh, we had we had them all. We had Lighthouse. We had uh, Ian Thomas. We had all the all the great Canadian acts that uh, went on to uh, uh, you know international fame. And um, uh, the CBC, in their infinite wisdom, has wiped each and every one of those shows. Well, you just mentioned that the two people that, that did uh, OK Blue Jays, one of them's name is Tony Kozenek. I know this because my brother's in the music industry. He had a song called um, All Things Come From God and didn't really, wasn't able to get another hit song after that. Now, you had one hit song. You probably had two or three. How difficult is it to have that one hit song and how difficult is it to repeat it? Well, uh, um, Tony was one of the one of the performers on my television show. As a matter of fact, he sang that song. All things come from God. He was um, he was on. It was a great production, a great song. Um, you're right; it should have been a monster. But the thing was that it was on again on an obscure record label, and and unless you have uh, um, uh, a big label with uh, all kinds of promotion and a track record behind you, um, it's very hard to get noticed at radio stations because they get dozens and hundreds of records each and every week. So it's hard to sift through the. Uh, the flotsam and the jetsam to uh, to find something that uh, that you know really really um, affects you. And uh, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a song that um, uh, uh, that was a big hit. Oh, Anne Murray Snowbird, for example, was the B side of a song called "Biding My Time." And um, for some reason, a disc jockey in Cleveland, Ohio, flipped it over and played Snowbird, and Snowbird took off like a rocket. Um, but she was on a major label, and uh, uh, and of course it was a great song. But uh, if that uh, disc jockey in Columbus o- or Cleveland, Ohio, hadn't flipped it over, um, we never would have heard um, Snowbird, and we probably wouldn't have heard of Van Murray. You've been able to uh, to recreate yourself or move on to different things in life. You do a lot of radio commercials. Your voice is used in a lot of different things. How how appealing is that to you in terms of being able to do something else beyond which I guess was your original um, you know start in the in the in the entertainment music career? Well, the the thing was that I came to a I came to a kind of a crossroads when CBC canceled the television show. They canceled the show after two years. We'd done fifty shows, five zero. And um, uh, CBC needed my camera crew to go to Montreal to do some sort of, um, um, I can't remember what it was. But uh, anyway, they uh, they needed my crew, so they canceled the show. And, um, oh, so anyway, I, I like I say, I came to a crossroads where I had to uh, decide what the hell I was going to do with my life. And... Uh, um, a friend of mine, who a, a brilliant man by the name of Tom Reed, who was my a best man at my wedding, uh, he said, listen, if you want to pursue this uh, music thing, he says, I'll be your manager. I said, okay, let's, terrific, let's go. He said, okay, where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in ten years? Yada, yada, yada. And so I, I gave him an outline, and he said, okay, in order for you to do that, 
first of all, we need to uh, get a band together. We're going to hire a band, um, uh, probably eight to ten players. Uh, so we'll start auditioning guys now, and we'll put a band together, and then we'll rehearse. We'll rehearse for, oh, a month, maybe two. So you'll be paying the guys as they're rehearsing. And he says, and then... When your record starts to pop in, let's say, Albuquerque, New Mexico, he says, I will book you into the best uh, venue in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then if your record starts to happen in uh, Regina, Saskatchewan, I'll book you guys into the best place in Regina. And he says, and so it goes. And he says, uh, so I, I, I want you to be ready because um, you're going to be on the road about 48 to 50 weeks of the year. And I said, whoa, 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 uh, I, no. <laughs> He said, but, but that's what you have to do to, to be a success in this business. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not ready to do that. Um, is there no other way? He said, no. I said, well, Harry Nilsson doesn't tour. He said, you're not Harry Nilsson. I went, oh, yeah, you're right, I'm not. <laughs> so um, I decided then to um, step away from the, 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 the record industry and uh, concentrate on something else. So I started doing um, radio and television commercials, and uh, I started selling people things, and uh, it was it was um, it was fulfilling because I still got to um, hear and see myself on 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 media. Let's put it that way, and uh, it was uh, I, I was able to stay at home with my beautiful wife and my beautiful children on a beautiful farm just north of Toronto, and uh, commute to the city. It was an uh, idyllic lifestyle. Well, you know, that's envious. I mean, you, you had everything, you had your priorities set. Keith, thanks very much. Nice to connect with you, and appreciate your time this morning. You're very, very welcome. Thanks for calling. That's Keith Hampshire. This segment is sponsored by Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Financial advisor Herb Braley, ready to help you with your financial needs. If you want a comfortable and real conversation about your options, contact Herb at 1-877-734-3055 or visit his website, braleyadvisors.com. With 31 years of experience, Herb will help you do what you want to do with your money, get it back to you when you need it the most. Financial clarity and comfort with Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Stay safe and stay heard with the Fox 40 electronic whistle, producing 100 decibels at the push of a button. The electronic whistle is perfect to bring along for any outdoor activity. And don't forget to use the code YESGUY at checkout for 15% off your order, fox40shop.com. This is YESGUY, the radio show on TSN 1050. Yes, Guy, the radio show. Jim Daddy and Perry Love go with you. If you are an experienced real estate agent looking for comprehensive value and a distinct advantage, contact Charles Park, managing broker, Remax West Realty Brokerage, offering state-of-the-art technologies with exclusive coaching and mentoring. For a confidential interview, call Charles at 647-292-8886 or email charles at remaxwest.com. And you should stay safe and stay heard with the Fox 40 electronic whistle, producing 100 decibels at the push of a button. The electronic whistle is perfect to bring along for any outdoor activity. Don't forget to use the code YESGUY at checkout for 15% off your order, fox40shop.com. We were talking about Charles Park. He's with us now to talk real estate. Charles, how are you? I'm excellent, Jim. How are you? Good. So I guess, there's, you know, now that we know that the inflation rate is high and, and interest rates, there's a little chart as, as to where they're going to go. When has the impact been on the market? Well, Jim, I just got off a Zoom call with uh, my brokerage and uh, some of our mortgage professionals. Uh, it looks like uh, that anticipated uh, rate hike that's coming on J July 13th, I guess it is, uh, by the Bank of Canada. The, pr the, the prediction way back when it was going to go up about half a percent. There was some talk about it going up three quarters of a percent. 
But now with the 7.7% inflation rate, which is a 40-year high, uh, there is a distinct possibility we might see a full percentage point increase uh, in the the Bank of Canada rate. So it is something that we're watching very closely. So I have a question now. You know, previous to all this stuff, you know, before the big R word was kind of put out there, people put their house on the market, they sold right away. Would you suggest now people, if they're thinking about selling, maybe hold on to it a bit longer to wait till things kind of like settle down? So real estate historically has always been a long-term investment. For people trying to capitalize in the short term, uh, it's like a stock. You know, sometimes things go up, sometimes things go down. But if you look at it over a long period of time, Real estate is always the most solid investment. And let's be honest, we need to live somewhere. <laughs> so for your home, right, do you need a home? Well, if you need a home, you're going to need to buy a home. And whether you get in today or whether you decide to get in tomorrow, tomorrow is probably going to be more expensive down the road. So it's always a good opportunity. If you have the means to get into the market, right, today, speak to someone, uh, find out what you're qualified for, Find what you're best suited to, to get into, and hopefully it works out for the best for you in the long term. Can't guarantee what happens in the short term. Uh, Charles, as we're speaking here, uh, you know, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, I'm going to go with three elements. Uh, first of all, we're talking about a mortgage rate increase that doesn't track the way it was supposed to, so that, that adds an element of concern. Um, you're talking about uh, people playing the market like it was a stock, uh, which is an element of concern because you know, there's other, other groups of people that, that have to move and, and have to have real estate transactions, and they do it because that's the way they live, and, and they need that to get through their lives. And the other one is, uh, you know, this hasn't happened in 40 years, so there's a large number of people in this marketplace that don't recall 40 years ago and, and might not be able to cope with this because it's a first-time thing for them. How, I guess, relevant is all of that, and, and, and what kind of concern should there be? Jim, I was in an elementary school 40 years ago, but I do remember right, my parents, with a business that they had, suffering right through the Great Recession and, and, and knowing what that was like and getting licensed during at the bottom of the Great Recession. Uh, it, it, you know, in my mind, uh, made me a stronger real estate agent today. Um, but, you know, we, we have to make comparisons as well. Don't forget the average price of a home was probably below $200,000 way back when. We're talking about, you know, $150,000 homes that were sold in the 80s uh, as being average price. So when you're getting these high interest rate mortgages that were available in the, in the, in the 80s, uh, you weren't mortgaging a lot. So, you know, put that into perspective. I think it's prudent. I know what the Bank of Canada is trying to do. They're trying to tackle inflation. We are all feeling the effects of inflation right now. So there is a bigger picture, not just real estate, that needs to be looked at uh, when we talk about interest rates. So, you know, before all this happened, houses were selling like 200,000 over asking, outrageous numbers. Would it be safe to say that even if the market cools off, a good house will still fetch a good price. It just may not get a, a zillion offers. Absolutely, Perry. Like, like think, think about it. Pre-pandemic, when the market was, it was a hot market. If we remember back in 2019, it was a very good market. Why are we comparing ourselves to the pandemic market, which was, in all essence, a blip? It was a huge blip, but it's still a blip. But if, if you look at average prices from a year ago today, we're still up. Right, almost 10% over you know year over year. Yes, if you compare last month, which is a seasonally adjusted price average price to today, yes, we are we're down about 3.1% from last month to this month. Uh, when I was last on your show, I was talking about 
the average price, you know, just touching 1.3 million. Okay, so the average price is now down to 1.176 million. We've seen that 9% reduction, but could with a 30% increase in average price sustainable? Of course it wasn't. What what fantasy land would anybody think that that was to think that that would you know continue on? Now let's talk about the perfect storm. And I actually just read a, a Freddie Mac article, which is American based, but it, it it holds true here in Canada. We had the perfect storm. We've got the age, you know, the 25 to 35 year old age gap, which is the millennial market, which is the largest market of home purchasers since the baby boomers entered the market, coupled with no, almost no inventory being built for them. So you had the perfect storm of a huge number of people entering the marketplace with a limited amount of inventory. That's why you saw, you know, multiple offers and, 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 and the, the, the shenanigans that we went through the last couple of years. You know, Charles, looking for a perspective, I mean, if you're in, in the, the housing market and you're trying to sell, you're going to get less than you would have a couple of months ago, but you're going to pay less where you're moving, right? I mean, it is that in that respect, it's, it's relative, isn't it? It totally is. So if you're already in the market, you're hedged. But, it, you know, and I, I said this before on one of your shows, I really feel bad for the first-time homebuyer. However, the first-time homebuyer's narrative right now, let it tank. Right, I've got no equity in anywhere, and I just need this price to tank. Those are the guys that are out on social media going, "Let it go, let it tank." Okay, Bank of Canada, do what you can, you know. <laughs> but but the people who own real estate right now are not singing that tune. <laughs> Charles, can you put a, a price on staging your home and what value that could mean in terms of escalating the price? So my sister, whose home is in Brooklyn, Ontario, a little plug there for, for her, right? She's got a beautiful home. It's a, it's a two-bedroom bungalow, uh, 2,000 square feet in the hamlet of Brooklyn, Ontario, which is just north of Whitby. She just spent on minimal staging about $4,000, which included, you know, a couple of key pieces of furniture, some artwork, uh, some knickknacks. Uh, you, know, you know, it's only two bedrooms. So that, that was a moderately staged home. If you decide to go, like, full staging, I've seen people spend $10,000, $15,000 and upwards, but the photos will speak for themselves. And I was lucky enough to get picked up by a show called Love It or Listed. I'm not sure if I can say that on the show, but uh, they actually came in and showed the property, if you know the format of that show, and, uh, and, yeah. and, and showed it and you know, loved the way that it presented. It, it, is, it is a remarkable difference when you get a professional come in and stage a property and, and then you, you get the, the right amount of interest uh, from parties. I've already had two offers on the property. Yes, the buyers think they have a little bit more power right now than, than they think they should have. Uh, we're, we're staying firm on price, but the staging is doing its job. It is worth every single penny. Thanks, Charles. Really appreciate your friendship and support. Homeowners are first-time buyers. If you're considering purchasing, refinancing, or if your mortgage is coming up for renewal, talk to Dean Romani, TMG SafeBridge Mortgage Solutions. Dean will provide you with custom-tailored mortgage solutions for all your needs. You can contact Dean on Twitter at MTGDean or give him a call at 416-885-1761. Be prepared on the ice with the Fox 40 hockey products like the Fox 40 Call and the Fox 40 Super 4 CMG. Use the code YESGUY at checkout for 15% off your order. And let's talk about advanced planning. Your life, your say, your tribute, and your way. Turner and Porter Funeral Directors. Let's start a conversation. Visit turnerporter.ca. This is Yes Guy, the radio show on TSN 1050. 
Yes guy, no guy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, time now for the episode number 82 edition of Yes Guy, No Guy, and Yes Guy, the radio show on TSN 1050. Wow, that's a mouthful. So we're dealing with the early 70s because of our guests, Phil Esposito and Keith Hampshire. So let's go back. Number one, Perry, is rock music, 69 to 75, the best of times. Yes Guy, No Guy. Yes Guy, I love it, but you have to extend it to right to the end of 1979, after the 80s music ceased to exist, in my opinion. Does that answer the question? Wow. So you're going to, yeah, well, sort of, but you're going to include disco in there. Hmm. That's interesting. No guy. Okay. Okay. Didn't think so, but I know what you're saying. So going back to the theme of early seventies, when you watch these music documentaries and you see how manual recording worked and how many takes it would, it would uh, require to get something right, as opposed to, uh, recording something and looping it on a computer program, you, this is absolutely underappreciated in the music that you and I grew up with. Oh, yes, Guy, because you could hear all the pops and all the sounds, and it was pure, unfiltered again, that word, music. Yeah, I, and, you know, so, sometimes you, with a vocal track, watching the Queen movie was was remarkable because of all the takes and all the layers they had to put on it as opposed to just doing it once and playing around with it. I mean, that's that's a real uh, a real battle for perfection. BGs, three guys step up to a mic and just rip it off. I mean, that's just uh, uh, that is un- unprecedented really for me. I agree. Go ahead, sir. Thinking of the 70s <laughs> and the 72 series of Summit series will and always be the most amazing international hockey series. Um, I'm going to say yes, guy, and obviously you have to be of a certain age to appreciate it, but nobody knew anything about the, the Soviet hockey team. Uh, and as Phil said in, in the conversation we had, uh, the scouting reports were all wrong. Uh, this was not just a hockey battle. This was a, a cultural battle as well in every sense of the word, uh, and it was an education process for both sides. So uh, absolutely, I don't know that you could do anything today and i might be wrong correct me if i'm wrong that would have that same kind of, of impact or or the amount of layers to it that that thing had as a, as a first off it was really impressive so i'm going to say yes guy to that how about you you know it's like the first time somebody walked on the moon it can never be duplicated because it happened for the first time so that series no matter what happened afterwards will always be the first one and we'll remember it just because of that okay and having said that and, and to honor our uh, one of our guests keith hampshire the first cut is the deepest guy. Oh, yes, guy. Uh, phenomenal songs, been duplicated, re-recorded, I don't know how many times, but certainly Keith Hampshire's version is truly Canadian. And we'll just go out on, okay, Blue Jays, let's play ball. So I want to thank our guest, Phyllis Pazito, Keith Hampshire, and Charles Park. Thank you for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed episode number 82 of Yes, Guy. I hope you come back next week for episode 83.